night. Uh, I believe that God has a word for all of us today in his word. Today, we're going to finish out the series that we began. Several speakers have been in and around the gospels, around the stories of the workings of Jesus and his disciples. And we're going to wrap that up today in this last part of this series and see what the Lord has. Let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to bless us tonight. Father, we thank you today. We praise you, God, regardless of the situations that we may be experiencing, God, whether it may be pain or grief, God, sadness, or maybe we've just had the best week of our lives, God. We praise you, God, because you are sovereign and you are high and exalted despite what may be going on in our lives or in the world around us, God. You deserve the highest praise, God. And so we give you every praise. That means we give you a praise when we're happy. We give you a praise when we're downtrodden, God. We give you a praise when we're sick, when we're feeling good, God. You are worthy of my every praise today. And I want to be faithful to give you that today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you again so much for being here. Like I said, we've been studying the stories around the ministry of Jesus and some of the incredible encounters he had early in his ministry. And today's lesson, we're going to be focusing in the Gospel of John, chapter six. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to go expository here. I'm going to try to go verse by verse and and see how disciplined I can be in my teaching if the Lord helps me. But we're going to be in John chapter 6, pretty much the whole uh, lesson today. So if you want to follow along, of course, they'll have it on the screens there. And uh, you can follow along in your Bibles, your phones, your iPads, whatever you have in front of you. Amen. John chapter 6, I want to just start reading one, a couple of verses to set the context. John 6 and verses 68 through 69 records really the, the tail end of where we want to focus today. The scriptures record that Simon Peter answered to him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You'll see as we study this, it's really a pivotal point in the, in the ministry, in the, in the followers of Jesus, where Jesus turns to them and asks them a really deep and, and difficult question. And Peter stands up. I feel like he had a turning point in his faith walk. He says, Jesus, where are we going to go? You are the words of life. And verse 69 says, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I think sometimes, I know I do, I take that for granted that we have that revelation. I take it for granted that we know Jesus for who he really is. And that we have a relationship. And that's such a common, almost cliche phrase that we use in Christianity. But if you're here tonight and you spend time in the word of God and you spend time daily in prayer and you have a regular experience of worship and praise and sacrifice in your in your Christian walk, then you know Jesus personally. You know him like Peter declared that we know you. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that is, that is an incredible miracle in of itself. To lay the context, I was thinking about the scriptures we're going to study tonight. And it hit me that there are very few things in life that are worth having that come overnight. <laughs> Amen. If anybody's ever tried to lose weight, 
you know that it does not happen overnight. I'm on the journey right now, brothers and sisters. I'm not getting younger. You know that if you've tried to pursue a, a degree in any kind of higher education, that it, it doesn't happen overnight. And uh, it's a little faster these days with online degrees and whatnot. But usually if, you, if you're going to do something worth achieving, something notable in life, it takes some blood, sweat, and tears. It takes sometimes frustration. And there's a weeding out process of the week through, through the efforts of training yourself mentally, physically, or even spiritually. I read a statistic about basketball, because a lot of people understand how basketball works. The statistics said that only 0.02% of kids who play high school basketball will ever make it to a professional league. 0.02. Now, I don't know about you, but I was a skinny, scrawny loser in high school, and I couldn't have dreamt on playing on my high school basketball team. I would look at them like, wow, these guys are awesome. And yet those studs that were playing hoops that I looked up to so much in high school, only 0.02% of them would ever make it to the big time. Even college players, the statistics say that no more than 1.3% of NCAA Division I seniors will ever play on an NBA team. It's incredible. You think about it, it, it makes sense because excellence tends to weed out the people who don't have what it takes. It, it, it's a process of taking somebody from ordinary to extraordinary. And it is so true in many areas of life. I read another statistic in, in 2021, uh, a study was made about Olympic athletes and they said that the average person on planet Earth has a one in seven million chance of being an Olympian. Amen. Brother Robert, you still have a chance. <laughs> I mean, it's never over, right? It's true about so many areas of life. I remember in college, I, I studied engineering, and I remember my freshman orientation being in this, in this room with, I think it was 900 people who were in the mechanical engineering department at New Jersey Institute of Technology, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I remember four and a half, five, five years later, <laughs> graduating, and, and it was less than 100 that made it through that curriculum. Because attrition is real in life. And, and, and so many times, even in Christianity, we see the same thing happen. The Bible declares to us in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 14 that many are called, but few are chosen. How many of us can testify? You don't have to lift your hands, but how many know people that used to walk with you who used to be passionate about God, but trials come and tribulations come and disappointment come and they're not here anymore or, or maybe they don't serve God anymore. Not to say that this church is the only place to go to heaven from. No, but there is a process that we as Christians experience and we realize that if you're going to make it, you've got to be chosen. You've got to be dedicated and you've got to have thick skin. Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 13, he says, you cannot enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate, he says. The highway to hell is broad. The gate is wide for many who choose that way, but the gate to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. Hmm. 
Amen to that. There's many that claim to be disciples, yet very few follow Jesus Christ. So as I said, we've been studying this, these stories around the, the miracles, and, and we've heard about it taught in the past couple weeks, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has this long sermon on the hillside in, 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 that, in the region of Galilee, and there, there's some amazing truths here, and it's cool to read about it. And, and if you watch the depictions through shows, you have 5,000-plus people getting fed from a, a few fish and loaves of bread that a boy brings to a gathering. And it's incredible. It's an awesome supernatural thing to read about. And there's some incredible truths to be gleaned from them. It's fun. It's awesome to, to think about how that must have been. But we would be remiss if we, if we missed one of the most key aspects of that story today that that there is 5,000 people so you can make the case that there was more than 20,000 there once you were to include women and children but 5,000 people and just a few chapters later most of them are nowhere to be found and it's just his disciples how does that happen? How do you go from an apostolic outpouring where there is a meal and miracles and just a few moments later, there is nobody around Jesus any longer and it's just the ones that are absolutely closest to him. And Jesus asked a question, we're going to see it later in the scriptures, where is everybody that saw this miracle? So the question for us here tonight is, are you following the miracles? Or are you following the miracle maker today? Are you seeking after a sign from God? Or are you seeking Jesus and a relationship with God? Come on, I'm talking to people that came to a Bible study on a bad weather Wednesday, but I'm trying to encourage somebody. Make sure you keep your eyes on the one who has died for us and don't look at what it comes to you, what benefits, what blessing. I want all those things in my life. Let God pour it out in my life greater than ever. But beyond anything God can do for me or for this church, I've got to have a relationship in my eyes on him. Why do we follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you serve? Why do we serve God? Is it for the benefits? Is it for the potential of an answered prayer, a supernatural encounter, something that would be amazing for you to post about on Instagram? Or is it to know him deeper? Do we stick around for the benefits? Or are we willing to take up the cross? God, help me. Help me. Help me to not be a Christian that always makes it about me. And what I need and a, and a transaction that I can receive something. God, I'll pray and I'll dance a little bit if you'll answer my prayer. If you'll give me a little goosebump on the back of my neck, uh, maybe I'll lift my hands and wave it. No, no, no. I want to have a relationship with my Savior that shed his blood for my life. Come on. If Jesus never does anything else for me, he gave his life for me. He died so that I can have the opportunity one day to walk in pearly gates and see them. Hallelujah. 
And so today I declare with a group of people I know can say with me, I will never turn my back on Jesus. I want to turn my eyes on him so that the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and of his grace. I want to make sure that I'm reminded that he is the bread of life, that he is the one that is a source of everything for me. It's not about what I can do for him. It's about what he's already done for me. Come on, that makes me want to give him all, but it's not about what I can do because I'm insignificant, but he is my everything. He has given me everything in life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I got to hurry. So in John chapter 6, starting at verse 25, we pick up the story. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000 and the disciples and the people we're told to enter into a boat and cross over. And verse 25 picks up, they found him, speaking of Jesus, on the other side of the lake. And they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? <laughs> Rabbi, when did you get here? Right off the bat, this, this, this question the disciples asked Jesus is very interesting. Jesus, how did you get here? When did you show up? And the thing is, if they never left Jesus, then they wouldn't have asked that question in the first place. If, if they never got their eyes off of Jesus and, and be so focused on the fact that there was fishes and loaves in abundance, they would know how Jesus got there. And I want to make sure today that I'm reminded, if you miss everything else I say, I want to be sure that I'm reminded that at the miracles we get at the altar, at the miracles and answered prayers I get in my prayer room, Every time comes, God comes through for me, when I cry out to him, I want to make sure that my eyes are fastened on him and not the miracle, not the benefits, not the blessing. God, help me to always pay attention where you are in my life. Jesus, how did you get here? <laughs> Verse 26, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Huh? Not because you understood the miraculous sign. You want to be with me because it's, it's something cool. It's trendy. Because you're getting a good meal out of it. You're seeing blind eyes open and you're dancing in the streets with the lame. But, but the, he says in verse 27, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God has given me a seal of his approval. Church, we've got to pay attention. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. I'm preaching to myself. Keep your eyes on the one who will provide, not on the provision Self, because those things are going to pass away in life, but Jesus is all that matters in this thing. Verse 28, they replied. <laughs> it's an interesting response. They say, we want to perform God's works too. This is amazing, Jesus. What do we have to do? I want to do miracles just like you did. And this response is so human because we all have been there. But these people still didn't get it. And we still so often don't get it. 
Jesus is clearly trying to steer their eyes off of the glitz and the glamour of miracles and on him so they can think, man, it's not about, hey, cool, man, that was an awesome sermon. Oh, that was an amazing miracle. I want to have this power too. Jesus is saying, man, don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to the fact that I'm your savior, that I'm here to change you and to save you. Jesus told them, forget about what happened back there. Look on me. I am the bread of life. Verse 29, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Listen to this. This is all he wants from you. Believe in the one he sent. You know, I think sometimes we overcomplicate living for God. We really do. Jesus is clearly pointing us to the fact that it's about him. And if there's one lesson we can get from the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is that God can handle any circumstance. I mean, that, that's an amazing thing that happened on that hillside. And, and I don't know about your problem, but mine's not nearly that big. And if God can handle that, he can handle anything in, that, in our lives. And, and if I can get something out of that is that he can handle circumstances that are beyond what we can ask or think. And, and the fact of the matter is we are a necessary part, but we are also an insignificant part of the equation. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about what we can do. It's about the fact that I'm looking to Jesus to be my provider. I'm looking to Jesus to be my savior. God is my deliverer. God is my refuge. He's my strength. He's my joy. He's the substance of things I hope for. Verse 30, the people answered, I mean, it's just amazing when you read it this way. <laughs> Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Verse 31, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. These people just saw the feeding of the 5,000, and they're going back thousands of years saying, man, can you do what Moses did? How many times has God come through for you? How many people here can take this mic and talk about the amazing, miraculous deliverance God has given you? People in here who have been supernaturally healed, people's lives who've been spared from certain death, and yet so many times we go back to God, God, if you'll just do this for me, then I'll do that. God, if you'll just come through and bail me out of this bad situation that I've made from bad decisions and, and this and that and the other, then I'll go and follow you. And Jesus is saying, forget about all of that. Just look at me. I'm your Savior. Put your hope in me. Put your life and trust in me. Jesus said in verse 32, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread for from heaven my father did and he now offers you true bread from heaven the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world come on can it be any more clearer to those people and to us today we don't need another miracle we need Jesus we don't need another baptism of the blessings in our life we need another baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire in our souls I don't need anything else God doing for me I need a deeper commitment in my relationship with him. God, draw us near to you. Draw us near to you tonight, God. In Jesus' name. He said he is the bread of life. 
It goes on to say, verse 34, these people were really pieces of work. I don't know who they were, but verse 34, sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'll tell you, I never understood that scripture. But I remember my mom telling me as a young man so many times, she would quote this scripture to me more than other. Dan, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I had big dreams as a young man. I wanted to do this and that and the other. I wanted to be there and I wanted to go here. But I'll tell you what, if you seek God first, if you'll just keep your eyes on Jesus, I know he's gonna take care of all that other stuff. You may not even realize it before you turn your eyes away from Jesus because his light is so bright in your life. Turn your eyes on Jesus. And I can testify that it works. They said, give it to us. Give us this bread you're talking about. Here's the thing. A transactional relationship with Jesus will always leave you wanting. If your relationship with Jesus is all about what he can give you, and what you can give him in return to earn something. Let me just tell you today, you're always going to be disappointed. It's always going to leave you frustration because you in yourself can never be enough. You can never be enough to earn or feel like you can deserve. If you do feel that way, then you need to repent tonight because everybody has sinned and the Bible says we come short of the glory of God. You can't earn this thing. You can't earn a blessing from God. You can't give enough to achieve a status in the kingdom of God. It will never be enough what you do. In other words... When you focus on what you're doing rather than who he is, you're going to be disappointed. And a lot of times it will lead you into comparisons and judgmental, judgmentalism. And so you find yourself frustrated and comparing yourself. Well, but the Craven's got a blessing in his life. Man, look, at he's got it all together. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong. It must be me. It's not about you and it's not about him. It's not about your brother and it's not about your sister. It's about those that are just looking at, gee, I may be suffering, but I can be thankful and suffering. I may be so blessed that you can't stand it. But if I turn my eyes and pay attention to my king, the, the giver of life, the giver of blessing, the giver of provi provision in my life, then I'm not going to be frustration. I'll be protected from that because he's my source. Verse 36, it says, but you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. He's, he's, he's giving a, a stern rebuke to these people because now they're quoting the Old Testament saying, wow, do this like we read about in our ancestors. Do manna and provide for us daily, not just one meal, Jesus. Give it to us daily. We don't know what you're talking about even, that you're the bread of life, but give it to us. And by all measures, you might think these people were probably sincere, but, but he's looking at them and he says, you have me right in front of you. You have the most, most amazing access to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Come on, come on, Pentecostals who see this every Sunday and every Wednesday. 
we have the most amazing access. The veil has been torn. We live in a dispensation where we can go into the throne room of God and boldly ask what we need and declare our, our hurts and pains and praises to him. And yet Jesus tells these people, you see me and you don't even believe. You might be saying, Dan, I believe, I believe I'm here. What are you, what are you, what are you talking about? But our belief really leads us into a passionate perspective in Jesus. If our gaze is on the things that we do in the world around us, then we're really not putting action in our belief. If you believe Jesus is who the scriptures say he is, then our eyes should be affixed on him and not the fact that the economy might be faltering or we may not get the president that you want to choose or, 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 or that what's going on in your job. Come on, can I get a little sensitive here? It, it may not feel good because maybe you're not looking at the right things in life. Maybe you're paying attention to the wrong things. I've had to learn this lesson the hard way. God, help me to keep my eyes on you. You, Lord, help me to fix my eyes on you and not the armies of this world who are going to always be attacking us. But God, help me to be like Elijah and help me to see that those that are for me are way bigger and better than those that are against me. God, you've got our back. I'm so thankful for it. I know there's people in this room. Maybe you've even prayed it this week or this month or this year, God, if you give me this miracle, if you'll do this one thing, God, if you'll just hear my cries, my sincere prayer, honor my three-day fast, my 21 days of fast, then I will fill in the blank. It's a transactional relationship. Don't believe that for a second. These people were there. They were with Jesus on the hillside. They heard his eternal words booming over the pastures and the shorelines of the Sea of Galilee. They saw him heal the lame man and open blind eyes. Probably some of them were even there watching the cold, lifeless body of Lazarus begin to move and emerge from a cold, dark tomb. But where were those people in the end? Where were those that didn't believe on him but were just following for the show, that were there for the goosebumps and for the, for the glamour of the day? Where are the people who really believed that he was God and that he was there to change them? Where are the people in 2024 that truly love Jesus, that want to give it all no matter what happens in life, whether you're living in a country that is oppressed or whether you're living in the United States in the most prosperous, blessed time of history? Is there a people that will lift their eyes to God and say, God, no matter what, I won't leave you. You are my son. Savior, you are my God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I want to be one of the faithful. But what makes us think we're any different if we don't have that relationship? Verse 37, however, those the Father, that has, those the Father has given to me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me. Not to do my own will, Jesus speaking. Think of that. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those that he has given me, but that I should raise them up in the last day. 
For it is my Father's will that all who see the Son and believe in him should have eternal life. And I will raise them up in the last day. Man, I want to be part of that group. I don't want to be those that left Jesus after the meal was over or the miracle faded away to memories. I want to be with Jesus on the other side of the shore. I want to be with Jesus wherever he goes. I want to be with Jesus in the garden praying. I want to be with Jesus as he walks up the Via Della Rosa. I want to be with him on the foot of the cross, being there as he breathes his last breath. And I want to be with him in the empty tomb coming after the women who chased him down. I want to be with Jesus in the upper room as the spirit was poured out and the people spoke in other tongues. I want to be with him. That is my prayer. Verse 41, the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I'm the bread of life come down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? Problem with these people is misplaced religious experiences can get in the way of knowing Jesus face to face. If we allow things in our past to define the future, many times we will miss what God is leading us to. If we think it's always going to be like it always has been, we may miss what God is trying to change in our lives. These people got so wrapped up on who Jesus they thought he, they knew, they didn't realize who was actually standing in front of them. Yeah, this was the boy raised by Joseph, but this was the son of God who was able to change everything in the whole world. And so today, it's not going to change whether you have a couple thousand more dollars in your bank account or another healing for your body. I pray you both get the, you get both of those in abundance. But what really is going to matter is if we realize that Jesus is the bread of life, that he is the provision that we need. He will give us salvation when the trumpet sounds it's his spirit that will raise us up incorruptible it's all about Jesus it's always going to be about Jesus and it always has been about Jesus Jesus replied I'm hurrying verse 43 stop complaining about what I said for no one came can come to me unless the father uh, who sent me draws me to draws them to me rather and at the last day I will raise them up as it is written in the scriptures they will all be taught by God everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me not that anyone has seen the father only I who has sent from God, but have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Why? Because yes, I am the bread of life. It's not because of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It's not because he walked on water and called Peter out to walk with him. It's because he's the son of God. He is God manifest in flesh, the perfect lamb given as a sacrifice for us to be the perpetuation of our sins come on somebody why don't you give God a praise not because of what he's done but because of who he is for us today hallelujah 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 thank you Jesus verse 49 I'm hurrying your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness they all died. 
Anyone who eats the bread of life from heaven, however, will never die. I mean, think about that miracle in the Old Testament. Manna from heaven. There's some indication that it was something like sweet bread. Krispy Kreme, Brother Mike. Falling from heaven every day. Come on. Pretty good, huh? These guys had Krispy Kreme donuts falling from heaven. Probably coffee too, right? I mean, we can't have Krispy Kreme without coffee. That's an amazing miracle. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing you can write a song about and, and, and you can fill a mega church with. It's, it's an incredible miracle for that kind of provision to be, to be provided to the people. But look what Jesus says. It's an amazing miracle that we, that we experienced. They were still talking about it and it would be awesome. We love it. But Jesus says here that those people had the miracle. Now they're dead. That provided for them. They lived through the Arabian Peninsula in a, in a really bad situation. But today it doesn't matter. They're dead. And so the message he's trying to tell somebody is don't let short-term provision distract you from eternal life with Jesus. Don't let a short-term gain in your life, a little more comfort, a little less uh, sorrow in your life, distract you from the fact that Jesus is calling us to turn our eyes on the bread of life, the giver of life in Jesus name in Jesus name I'm skipping because I I'm running out of time verse 53 so Jesus said again I tell you the truth unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you cannot have eternal life with you he's saying we've got to have an intimate relationship we've got to partake Jesus we've got to soak him in it's not about what you can do for your body it's about what you can do with your spirit to be connected with his body to be a part of the body of Christ not because of who you are but because he He's freely asking us to partake of him, to be a part of who he is because he said, I am the bread of life. He wants us to receive him into our lives, to make our lives part of an extension of his body that is called today the church of the living God. We have an opportunity, the Bible says, to be grafted into his body, to be so intimate with God that we are part of his body, that we walk the earth as a representation an ambassador of Christ. Hallelujah. He's inviting us to partake of him. And so Jesus says, he's the bread of life. I'm closing it. Musicians, you can go ahead and come. And he's saying today to somebody in this room, I'm the bread of life. I don't know what you're seeking. It may, may be something that is urgent. It may be a, a, a need. I, I don't want anybody to think I'm discounting the fact of God's amazing provision. I, I know God has done it. He's done it for me. I can testify of God's amazing provision, but more than that, he's saying, look, I have, that's all fine, but I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's about our connection to him. It's about his teachings and his word, and it's something that we all have to receive. Verse 60 says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And Jesus was aware, verse 61, that his disciples were complaining. He said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend into heaven again? What are you going to think when Jesus is not here in the body anymore? Verse 63 says, the Spirit alone 
gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. He goes on to say in verse 65, that is why I say that people can't come unto me unless the Father gives them to me. And verse 66 says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? God, I've heard the voice of God tell me that so many times. When I've questioned my commitment, my relationship, when I got so wrapped up in my trials and struggles, I've heard that still sweet, small voice. Dan, are you going to leave me too? And I pray the spirit of Simon Peter, the first leader of the apostolic church, resides in me and in this church and every person here. Peter replies, said, Lord, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Who are we going to follow? What other God can do what you have done for me? He says, you have given words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. If you believe, then you know. If you believe you know. If you believe and you know, then it's going to be a part of who you are. And it's going to be unshakable. The word name, the name Peter means the rock. Jesus renamed Simon to Peter for that reason, because he sensed that in him very early. Peter, I see it in you, unshakable, unmovable always abounding in the works of the Lord. I know that's easier said than done sometimes. I know it's difficult. Sometimes we hear and we read passages in the scriptures like like we did today, and and it's easy to hear sometimes and and say, yeah, I got it. I'm going to do it. But when the rubber meets the road and Difficult times come. We all have questions. We all have struggles. I know I do. There's no really magic potion that some preacher can splash on you to make it all better. If that's what you're looking for, you're going to be disappointed. The only thing that's going to keep you through all of those times through all of those pains, through all of those tears that you shed, through all of those times of question and lack of faith when you don't even know what you believe or why you're even trying to serve God, is if you'll just turn your eyes on Jesus. If you'll just turn your eyes on Jesus. Don't let him out of your sight because he's there saying, I am the bread of life. I'm the one who's going to keep you I'm the one who's going to resurrect you when that trumpet sounds. I am the bread of life. 
in Jesus' name. I've gone way, way too long. But if you'll join me at these altars, I believe that God wants to solidify his word right now. Just Let's just practice turning our eyes and our gaze to him right now. God, I turn my eyes on you, Lord. I have fixed my eyes on you, Lord Jesus, because this world has so much pulling us and tearing us away from the truth of your word, God. But I want to be by your side. I don't want to leave you, Lord. I don't want to forsake you, God.